Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Slate House Property Management. Slate House manages over 3,500 units across the Mid-Atlantic, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Property management is sure not the sexiest industry, but what makes Slighthouse unique is it was founded by investors and engineers. Slighthouse has built or licensed over 12 different technologies to improve returns for investors and make better living experiences for tenants. Full-time maintenance guys help work get done quicker at a reasonable price. Slighthouse manages properties for many of the guests on this show and has helped them scale their business while they focus on acquiring properties. For more information, go to slatehousegroup.com, call 717-413-6976, or email service at slatehousegroup.com. Look forward to talking to you. All right, guys. Uh, super excited here uh, for the Real Estate Hackers podcast today. We've got Becca Shea in the room. Becca. In the house. In the house, in our new house, <laughs> yeah, our new fancy uh, pants house. Yeah, new podcast studio here in the Lancaster Hive, a co-working office that we launched um, about uh, late July, and uh, yeah, super pumped to have uh, Becca here. That, that sounded like your super pumped voice. I am super pumped. <laughs> um, quick background on Becca, so. Uh, Started in real estate about five years ago, is that right? Six, yep. And has done everything from wholesaling, is an investor herself, uh, flipped houses, now helps other people uh, do better job at marketing. Uh, I'm probably missing a thing or two. Yeah. Well, we started as rehabbers, primarily as a rehabber. And then I told you I was a re I'm a reluctant wholesaler. I got into marketing to try and find my own rehab deals and um, bought some rentals along the way, which Slate House does an awesome job managing. Um, and through the journey, which we'll probably talk about, realized that marketing is actually my jam. That's awesome. How, uh, why don't you start a little earlier? I know you have like a math engineering background. Mm -hmm. uh, what got you into, and you know, we're into tech here at Russell Hackers Podcast. We focus a lot on tech and systems. What got you into real estate? So I went to school for mechanical engineering on an ROTC scholarship. So I got my mechanical engineering um, undergrad, went to, um, actually got my grad, got my master's degree right after that in mechanical engineering, and then was in the Navy for about four years. And when I got out, I went and got a uh, job doing energy efficiency work. 
um, basically using my mechanical engineering degree in the HVAC controls, um, you know, these people who spend two, $3 million a year on their utilities. Hey, how can we help you spend less money on your utilities through efficiency? Yeah. Uh, then what got you from, I guess you learned a lot about maybe energy. Yeah. I mean, that was like basically looking at systems as a whole and figuring out how they interact and what's critical to look at. And I love that job, but it was, I I worked on federal government projects. So I was traveling like 75% of the time. I was, (laughs) my, my, uh, my one story is like I was eight months pregnant and I traveled, I traveled like six out of eight weeks and it was with my third daughter. And I was like, I can't, I just can't do this. So I took a break and, um, Said to my husband, "Hey, let's let's rehab a house. We are both kind of handy. This is our joy, and uh, the rest is history." After the first one, I was like, "Not going back to work." Okay. <laughs> so rehab the house. Did you sell the first house? You yeah, rehabbed? we did. I um I got a partner because it's scary to start things. Yeah. So uh, I had a friend who I wanted to go to a meetup. Like that. That's really where this journey started. I wanted to go to a meetup, and I was too scared to go by myself. So I asked my neighbor to come with me. She came and we were both like, hey, we could do this uh, and let's do it together. That's awesome. Beck and I run a meetup in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. If you've never actually been. So we're. Last night was awesome, by the way. I wasn't even there. Economist uh, came and spoke and it was so much data. (laughs) But it was like, it was an hour and a half long presentation and everybody was completely just tuned in, like, wow, this is awesome. That is awesome. Okay, so flipped your first couple houses. Uh, did you start flipping or you started in wholesaling? Started flipping. Flipping, okay. So the first year I flipped three houses. I rehabbed three houses. And then the second year I rehabbed six. And then I set this goal for my third year that I was going to do 12 houses. Like one a month would mean that you know I'd have to buy one a month, which basically meant most of my time was looking for deals. And I hired a... Um, uh, an admin like assistant to help manage contractors and take stuff to properties. And, um, yeah, that was my kind of, okay, well, if I need to find deals, probably need to start marketing. Right. So, I mean, I know we talk a lot about scale on this podcast. I know you and I personally talked a lot about scaling in, in real estate. It's tough. A lot of times, you know, people say real estate's local. I hate that phrase because I feel like it's only local because you haven't figured out systems. Uh, talk to me about kind of your growth the next two to three years and some of the challenges you faced in trying to scale that business. Um, I, I'm, I have a question for you on this one too, because I think the first challenge was giving myself permission. Like uh, when I told people that I had flipped six and I was going to flip 12, the backlash that I got from people was like, isn't it good enough that you did six? Like <laughs> what, you know, why are you being all crazy? Like, oh, Becca, just take a break. Um and I've kind of wondered that about you too, right? You guys had rentals to start. Now you manage almost 4,000 units. Like when did you flip that switch and what made you flip it to yeah. giving well, yourself yeah. permission? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, uh, one thing I'll say is there is a point where talking about it becomes strange. Uh, it's not, you know, when you go from owning five units to seven units, it's still exciting to talk about. At some point, it becomes less exciting to talk about because it's kind of like... Uh, People look at you crazy. Like, you do what? You manage how many units? Uh, that is so true. And the other thing I've noticed in real estate is like the bigger the company gets, the more skeptical people are about yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, is, yeah, totally. Which is weird. Like in, in the tech world, 
as a tech company gets bigger, so as Google grew or as Facebook rose or Airbnb, in general, people respect that. They, they, they feel more comfortable with the tech. They see it as being a good thing. They want to work more with you. In real estate, it's like the opposite. Yeah. It's like the bigger you get, they get skeptical that you're too big and that's going to cause problems. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's like, everybody kind of has this side real estate dream, right? I, I mean, almost everyone you talk to is like, I've always wanted to do, I wanted to flip a house or I want rentals. I love that right. idea of passive income. You're, you're still relatable to them <laughs> when you're doing like five. <laughs> but when you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I flipped 16 houses last year and I wholesale 30 and they're, they're like, yeah. <laughs> And because we're such like driving people, I say that and I'm like, eh, it wasn't enough. <laughs> so. so, okay. So you got, you got over the, am I capable of yeah. it? Uh, but I, you know, I've gotten to know you well enough that I, I'm, I, that I'm imposter syndrome. You got right? through that pretty quick. Uh, what was like the next hurdle you faced on the scaling? Was it, was it more the marketing side or more the contractor, uh, turning side um the very first hurdle was finding deals which is why i i joined the mastermind seven figure flipping and when i was there i was mostly wholesalers and so that was my real quick so people at home you're, you're part of a mastermind yeah chad hates people? mastermind i don't hate mastermind that's not true i hate i'm being money. careful what i say uh, like 30 people are in it uh when i started it was like 30 people okay. um not, not even it was like 20 25 businesses so maybe that was two people okay but um, it sounds like it's been really good for you yeah, it, it's been for the permission, for the accountability, for the growth. Also, for the dis I was telling you the discounts. Like, you know, when you're sending out 30,000 pieces of mail a month and you can save a penny, that's, matters. you know, or, or two or three, that yeah, matters. matters. Yeah. So you, uh, okay, so you go from uh, like 10 to 12 deals to what, like 20 to 30 deals, basically. Yeah. So... So we started doing marketing, which I was telling you, I remember my first meeting of, I, I had no idea like what marketing was. And I remember somebody putting up on the board like, okay, you're going to send out your different marketing pieces and each one has to have a unique phone number. And they, I, they showed a screenshot of like 20 different phone numbers. I was like, oh my gosh, 20 phone numbers? Like, how do you even manage that? Where do they ring to? Who answers them? Yeah. Like, so, so I learned about marketing. And, um, I started wholesaling, you know, eventually it was, I just defined my deals and then I was like, Hey, well, if I can find my deal and I can wholesale one or two, um, a month, a, that will ensure that I always have a rehab ready when my crew is ready. So that became the first hurdle. And then we reached a point where I was like, I'm, I can do two a month. And then contractors became, <laughs> became my, yeah. my headache. Yeah. That's interesting. So it was, I mean, it all depends on where you are kind of in the, the economic cycle too. I mean, obviously right now finding deals is harder. And finding contractors is harder. And yeah. price of materials is going up. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Uh, but, but a lot of people want to buy stuff. So on the wholesaling mm -hmm. side, that's yep. probably helping you. Inventory is still low. Uh, okay. So how did you talk me through, how did you work? Let's just talk about finding deals. How are you able to scale up finding deals in a way that didn't break the bank? Mm, that is a big assumption that I didn't break the bank <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I think my introduction to marketing was just throw dollars at the problem. I mean, be as smart as you possibly can when throwing dollars at the problem. There's, you know, and I know there's tried and true methods, direct mail. When I first started, yellow letters were still the big thing. There's bandit signs, there's, um, pay-per-click, which... Let me ask a really fundamental question. Are you backing into, do you have like a dollar figure per deal that you try to aim towards? 
Yes, now I do. So probably 18 months ago, we, we started this massive efficiency journey in getting our, what my, my driving metric on the marketing side is cost per contract. And it's actually not just a marketing, it's a marketing and sales metric, mm -hmm. but um, cost per contract, we were at around $4,000, $3,800 last okay. year, I want to say, um, at the beginning of the year. We're down to around $2,400 bucks wow. per contract. Wow. And if yeah. I can get that below $2,000, that's my like, I don't know, party. we're going to have a massive party or something. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I feel like, and I could be off on this, but I want to say the average person I talk to in, the, in your world, and I, I, I'm not in your world, I'm not a flipper, I'm not a wholesaler, I feel like four to five K is what I've come to here for someone who's trying to do a bunch of deals, not just one or two. Right. If you're just trying to do one or two deals, you can send out some handwritten letters. You might only spend a hundred bucks. Knock door to door. Knock right. on doors. Like, yeah. If you want to just be, just get the, a deal or two for yourself, you don't have to spend that kind of money. If you want to scale a wholesaling operation, I would budget $4,000 per contract, probably five out of the gate and right. back, back into it from there. So if you're like, I want to get a deal a month, I can contribute, you know, $5,000 in marketing. Okay. So, I mean, I'm a nerd at heart. We definitely have some nerds who listen to this podcast. Talk me through how you went from, I mean, going from four grand to, you said you're at like 2,800 now? 24. 2,400. Yeah. So almost 50%. So close. So you've, you've carved off. What forty percent mm -hmm. of your cost per contract? I mean, that is really, really great. Yeah. Uh, talk us through some of the tools you've used to to do that. Well, the first thing is just taking a deliberate look at what you're spending. A lot of people will just spend money and they don't really keep track of. Hey, that went to um, one of the first hires I made was a bookkeeper, and so I, we're very we have ten categories: direct mail. Um, Bandit signs, online methods. And so when I spend something, I need to track how much money I spent there. So do you spend any money without tracking it now? No. We track everything. We track everything. That's great. Um, and then once we started doing that, then you also have to be very deliberate about tracking the results of that. So we look at how many calls did we get this week? How many appointments did that yield? Um, what? How many contracts did we get, right? So like, let's say I get 50 calls in a week yep. and we set 10 appointments and we get one contract. Like those are all, all those pieces of the puzzle are important to know. And so a lot of like a lot of investors, especially scaling wholesaling, will use some sort of CRM. Um, we use, we use investor fuse, um, but there's, I think, uh, carrot has one on carrot has one. There's REI Volution, And most of these ones, the call systems will feed right into them. And you can say, Hey, this phone number is for my postcards. So it'll tell you, you got 10 calls this week from your postcards. Mm -hmm. But are you, are you, are you, now are you doing one-to-one? -one? So you, when you take that call, how do you know it came from the postcard? Are you asking them, hey, how do you hear about me? Each piece of our marketing has a unique phone number. Right, right, right. Uh, but then when that call comes in, how do you go from the call to the contract, I guess? So when a to call comes the into our system, yeah. it'll it, everybody's tracked by phone number. So your phone number would show up. We'd say, hey, this is Chad Gallagher. His property is at this oh, address. That's oh, that's great. So and you actually then, assign the address to mm -hmm. the phone number it came from, Yeah, essentially. And then we set an appointment awesome. and, it, and it says like, hey, this is Chad Gallagher, this phone number. We got this contract, Chad Gallagher, this phone number. We can trace it all the way back. That's great. That's great. So uh, talk me through... What was a so as you started to go down this road, was there something that you were doing in marketing that was not as 
cost efficient as you thought? I think my biggest aha from this journey has been that marketing is a living animal. So what is working right now or what was working for me two years ago can change. You know, we, we now look every three to three months, we kind of do a, a get the pulse of things. And then every six months we do a like full stop. Let's reallocate money Yeah. because for a while, pay-per-click PPC, which is not P-A-P-E-R click, which I thought it was to begin with. It's P-A-Y-P-E-R click. That's funny. A for a click. Um, for a while, that was really crushing it for us. And then, you know, you have a marketing background. Yeah. The, the Google Smackdown happened and the algorithms changed and we went from spending... Is it like know, a white year ago? Year and a half? This was end of 2017 was when okay. I noticed the shift start to happen for us. Um we went from spending like three to four grand for contract and pay-per-click to like seven to eight thousand wow. wow. over the next six months. So just being cognizant of Right. So to your point, if you're not watching the master control system, maybe you one time you did a analysis, you spent three K, you got two contracts, you're saying, Yeah, this pay-per-click's working. Yeah. Uh now something changed, in this case, maybe an algorithm or maybe a new entrant came in and all of a sudden now it's it's not working. Did you completely stop? We, we tried scaling back. We, <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> so I did like a, an analysis in my system. It'll, it'll timestamp when a lead comes in. Yeah. So I pulled all my leads and I was like, what time of day and what days of the week are we actually getting leads? And we started by just scaling back our pay-per-click to only show during those hours. Yeah. And even that didn't make a significant enough difference. So you just cold turkey now. We cold turkey. Yeah, you're gone. But, but we will reevaluate it. Probably in the next couple of months, we'll we'll test out maybe two thousand bucks. See if we can get back again. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, how much to set this up? I mean, a lot of it's education, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, I mean, I imagine it's a fair amount of time to get everything set up, right? That's probably the that's that's probably the hurdle nobody wants to cross. Yeah, that I mean, there's just a couple like systems thing. I was telling you, I've noticed, especially in the wholesaling world, a lot of people are great at sales. That's why they get into it. They love it. The art of the deal, right? Um, and they know that they should track this stuff, but <laughs> the thought of like putting in the effort to actually track it is gives them heart palpitations. Yeah. Um, but the key thing is you need a phone number that's unique to each piece of mail. So you know that like, or unique piece of marketing. So yeah. you know, when someone calls you, what did they actually find you on? And that can get fuzzy cause they might get a postcard from you and then go Google you and then call you off of your website phone number. So no, it's not a hundred percent perfect. Right. But it's close enough. Yeah. And then you need a system where you're tracking. I mean, most of the things that allow you to set the phone numbers, like CallRail is what we use, is awesome. The reporting is phenomenal. Even if you just use CallRail, you'd be able to see time of day and how long the calls are. And you can even get it to record them if you play the little greeting. Um, But then tracking were these actual leads. Did, Did we go on appointments? Did we make offers? How many contracts did we get? That's where the breakdown happens. That's awesome. Um, talk me through. Uh, so huge success. I mean, going from four grand to twenty four hundred is super awesome. Right? I love that you appreciate how I awesome do. that is. I I'm do. very excited. So at one point, I worked in digital advertising. We used to optimize campaigns. I mean, if if we saw that kind of a movement, that would be a huge success. Any mm-hmm. client would be happy. Um, are you assigning so something like bandit signs? 
are you accounting for the time to get the signs out there? And like you're assigning costs to every little piece of this? We pay for, for the signs. Like we just order them in bulk and then we pay somebody to put them out. Okay. Per sign. So that goes, that's part of, yeah. you know, banded signs that cost someone $200 to put the signs out. Mm -hmm. And then the signs cost X. That's part of your yeah. delivery mechanism there. Because I think sometimes one thing I see is investors, this comes a lot with the, do I want to hire a product management company or not? Mm -hmm. Right. And people will say like, I'll just do it myself. And then, you know, the little tiny increments of time when you're trying to scale can add up in a hurry, yeah. right? Who's, who's scheduling the appointment, who's going to meet the tenant, who's answering the tenant's phone call, who's texting the tenant, you know, these things. Well, and also, I mean, I, I with my rentals, like, and I've thought about this a lot lately, I, I want to do other things. You know, the first thing they say when you're scaling a business is look at what you did during the day and offload the $10 tasks, right? right. If you want to make $50 an hour and you're at the point where you can afford to, to get some help, then offload the $10 tasks, right? If a tenant calls me, I am not going to call them back. <laughs> I might call them back in a week or two. And then I pissed off my tenant, which means maybe they're not going to re renew their lease. Like the trickle down effect can be pretty expensive. Right. Right. So I love that you're really dissecting all the way down to the, the you know, Jimmy, the guy who's going out and actually delivering. The, I, mean, I actually had a tenant call me that I didn't call back recently. Okay. So, yeah. Why is a tenant calling you? Oh, I have one rental that's right next to my house. So uh, I kept that one, uh, but I'm regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, okay. So let's talk about, I want to talk a little bit about scaling contractors up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know. I mean, I think I should, I want to talk about two things here. One, I want to talk about challenges you face with contractors. But I also want to talk about you clearly love the marketing side more than the contractor side. Yeah. And I would say we've had other folks on here. Um, we had the Touch of Color CEO who, um, you know, he's he loves handling flooring and working with flooring yeah, contractors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think... Uh, since you love the marketing, do you think you've gotten better at that than dealing with contractors because you love it more? So I love rehabbing and, and I will say I made okay. a very conscious decision to, to close the chapter on re on rehab growth because I wanted to focus on marketing. Um, so you're still rehabbing. You're just not going to scale that up anymore. You're going to kind of... I, I haven't decided. We have two projects going right now, and we're going to see where they go. Okay. Um, but I do love that. So I love I love seeing the potential in something and seeing it come to fruition. Um, but it's this kind of there's limited brain power. Um, so for me, the contractor thing is, you know, I flipped 60 houses at this point. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm a... Total. I haven't flipped any. Yeah. Well, we, we flipped this office. This office I is close to yeah. I always tell the story. Of, uh, I flipped <laughs> one house, bought it for five, and sold it for three. Um, but I will say this this office building was a bit of a, a flip in a, in a way. We're going to oh, yeah. hold it. We're not going to sell it, but it, it has a, a similar. Huge renovation. Yeah, huge renovation. So I'll, I'll hit you with some data from our construction side of things from those 60 projects. I have found that the cosmetics for us in our area, which we're in kind of an hour left of Philadelphia, um, that we spend around $20 a square foot on the house to do the cosmetics, kitchens, baths, flooring, paint, minor landscaping. And we get closer to $30 a square foot when we have to do systems replacements like new HVAC, new roof, um, or major interior work, let's say mold remediation or waterproofing. 
And if we have to do everything like septic system, wiring, we're closer to 40 to $45 a square foot. So on the contractor side of things, I feel like we've gotten that down to a good process. However, the human component is what is just tough. Like I, I ended up starting my own construction company. I took two really good contractors that I had and I brought them together and we added a third one. And I told you I tried to, to do two rehabs a month. Well, every time they worked on a project, they were awesome. Every time I hired other contractors, it was like $30,000 over budget and 12 weeks late and I'm fighting yeah, with people. So and but then it's like, that's great that you had these guys work on the project, but as soon as they don't have any time, as soon as they have free time, they need to work. Yeah. Right? So now there's, there's this juggling act of just resource allocation. Right. And so what I would do is I would actually hire them out to other investors. If I had two weeks between projects. Yeah, I've seen you post this before on Facebook. Who needs a contractor? Yeah, who needs contractors? Did that, did that work? Did oh, totally. They, I always found a spot for them. And I always got phenomenal feedback from people like, wow, your crew is good. Um, but it just, it becomes really... You know, you open up walls and like we, we are doing a project right now where the basement had all the wiring was replaced. It looked like all new wiring. We open up the walls. We find knob and tube. Yeah. yeah not like, good. <laughs> so. Uh, interesting. So you talked about the biggest challenge on scaling contractors is the human element. Uh, now, is that the human element of a project manager overseeing the contractor? Or you were pretty well doing that, right? Or did you have a layer in there? I hired a remote. There's a site called HireMyMom.com, <laughs> where it's basically like stay-at-home moms who want to work, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week. Um, I hired someone who had, like, event planning background. Okay. And she does the administrative stuff. She's amazing. And she'll, like, I'm like, hey, I need three electrical quotes. She will call 20 electricians till we get to those three quotes, which is really what it comes down to. You just have to put it in your head. Like you need electrical quotes. You're gonna have to call 20 contractors, 10 will show up. Maybe four will actually follow up with a written bid. And you just have to understand that's the way of things. Yeah. So if you can, if you can resign yourself to that or find a phenomenal GC, but in this market, the, the struggle is it's a really good market and they have more lucrative jobs. Right. Are you seeing a lot of turnover with the contractors? Like you have someone, he's great, and then he just gets too much work besides your stuff, so now you now you need somebody else to kind of replace him? Yeah, we find that with our subs. I mean, especially right now, like wells, septic systems, roofs, because and with the rain that we've had this year, it's just like that managing the timeline has gotten really tough because like I was supposed to have a roof. We couldn't really finish the interior until the roof gets done. The roof's supposed to start. It gets pushed back two weeks. It's only supposed to be a three-week project. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, man. It's just... So how do you how do you work through the human... So you mentioned the human element being tough to scale. Look, no question. I think anyone in anything related to real estate maintenance, contracting would agree, both the hiring, all that mm -hmm. stuff. You any, any kind of tips of the trade that you realize that helped along the way um calling references i learned that the hard way going if you're hiring a contractor um and they're like hey i'm working on a job right now and i can't start for two weeks say hey where's your job and go pop by their job see how they're doing um that helped me a lot with i i've gotten to the point now where i kind of have my trusted subs okay um but but getting into it so someone says hey i'm, I'm over here at 22 main street you're actually going over yeah and you want to see what mm -hmm. the quality of work. Yeah. 
I want to see how they keep the job site. Do they take pride in it? Is there just like drywall dust everywhere and their tools are laying about? Like you want someone who takes pride in their work yeah. and also be realistic in what you're going to pay them. That was the biggest thing for me. The reason why I put my construction crew together was they were all solo contractors who loved, they were craftsmen. You know, you could tell that they were good at their work. They took pride in it. And the thing that they struggled with was the paperwork, the back end, the overhead. And I was like, what if I can make all that go away and you can just show up and do what you love to do, you know, and only work 40 hours a week. You know, anything after that, you can do side jobs, whatever. We use this thing called T-sheets. They would log in. Yeah, we use T-sheets, too. Um, and just, I, I basically sold them on the quality of life and getting to do what they love without the stuff that they hate. But then I had to say, what's a fair wage? Like, let's be honest. What's a fair wage? Yeah. I want to pay you 40. You want to make 80. Let's settle on 60. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Tricky. Um, okay. So it sounds like you are focusing more on the marketing front. Um, is, is there, is the, is the path here now to scale the marketing and work more with other investors and helping them do what you did? Yeah, that would be my ideal right now. So we're, we launched this company called Market Shark, um, basically doing a deep dive analysis of people who are, you know, spending five grand a month on our five grand a contract and saying, can we get that number down? And um, really leveraging that as my forte. We're still doing wholesaling. I finally, we talked about the human element. Um, I struggled last year a lot with sales reps. And a uh, game changer for me this year was, and we've talked about like hiring for experience. I mm. kept thinking, I don't have a sales background. And I somehow kept thinking, I'm going to hire this like person who doesn't have a sales background either. And I'm going to train them. <laughs> like That was pretty stupid. Yeah. Um, you know, we live and learn. So I finally hired someone who has 20 plus years of, of true outside sales experience and, you know, watching people do their craft when they're good at it is pretty awesome. So he's basically doing that side of things. And, and my goal is to help other investors take the same journey that I did of stop lighting money on fire. Let's, let's get efficient. That's awesome. Um, have you, do you, have you worked with some yet to sort of see a similar progression? Yeah, we, so this started as a side project because um, this mastermind group that I'm a part of, it became very apparent that numbers and data and like that was my forte. Yep. And so people started approaching me like, you know, hey, could you help me? Uh, you know, I'm really good at sales. I have no idea what's yeah. happening on the back end. A anything come to mind as you worked with other investors of something that somewhere somewhere you were able to help them realize something in, in that maybe wasn't apparent to them that... That, well, what we mentioned about marketing being a living thing, um, one of the first clients we worked with, we were able to get his his spend down like 25% with the same results. And um, we went into it, and I remember the first conversation, him saying like, well, this is what works well. I know this works well. And then we looked at it, and we're like, the data, you know, he probably just based on emotion would have kept doing the same thing that in the past had worked. Right. You know, so... That's great. Uh, I, I know one thing I learned from my digital advertising days was, and I was just in a course about Facebook the other day, same thing with Facebook, is that you, you when, when there is good tech and good systems and good tracking, you want to start off with as broad a, a net as possible, right? And so uh, we used to always tell clients to run, we used to call them run of network campaigns in our digital ad tech days. And uh, as opposed to clients always wanted to say, no, I want to target men 18 to 29. That's who buys my product. 
Right. And we'd say, Are well, you, you sure? You think that's who buys it, right? But it, it turns out it might not be men 18 to 29. It might be their wives. Right. Exactly. Or their mothers who right. buy it for them. Like, that's the user of your product, right. but who actually yeah. buys Who's it? Yeah, who's actually buying it. And, uh, and so I, I love how you kind of take a similar uh, method here. And I think, man, if there's one takeaway for me that everyone should take, it's not having an assumption of what works or even not just relying on what worked a year or two ago. Um, I love your story about how Google Ad changed. Um, Google Smackdown. Yeah, uh, which I didn't know that was even a thing. Google is, that, is that a thing? Yes, yeah, so I've heard it referenced multiple times. Google Smackdown. The Google Smackdown. Yeah. Uh, um, AKA their algorithm changing. Um, but even like, I'm sure bandit signs, like yeah. a new entrant comes in who starts taking down your bandit signs and you don't even know it, right? I mean, I, I don't have any experience with bandit signs, but I'm sure these things happen, right? Or, well, I mean, what I've noticed, so bandit signs worked. I did not want to do bandit signs, by the way. I was really against them, but in the spirit of we're just going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, I started doing them and we got great response. And I talked about this at the meetup with Judah that I, I honestly think it's because people have this inherent distrust of anything big. We talked about this earlier, right? When you're doing five or seven properties, it's okay. But when you get to 30, then people start to distrust you. Yeah. I, I think with marketing, it's the same thing. Like if you're putting a sign out at the end of their back road, they, they automatically assume that you're a local and there's a inherent trust factor there. And so stupid things work. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, but I, they've I, gotten saturated. I mean, in my head, I was thinking to myself, who is like the biggest real estate company? What would be like a, a, an algorithm to Google? The only thing I could think of was Trump, which I, I don't want to get into a political debate uh, <laughs> right now. But look, I think whether you Republican, Democrat, whatever, uh, there's no question that Trump Tower has a lot of negative perceptions to it, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to the local flipper who's down the street, right? you know, who's who looks like yourself, talks like yourself. They're trying to just flip five houses a year. They're probably right. going to treat you fair. Yep. Yeah, that fairness, right? That underlying sense of fairness. Corporations automatically come with this, you know, big business is out to get me, screw the little man. So, like, yeah, maybe that's why. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, have you been able to optimize bandit signs at all? Like, let me, let me ask you, let me backtrack, better question. So like, I love how you're optimizing by channel. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're also able to optimize in the channel? We haven't gone that deep yet, but that's kind of our next evolution of like, can we, you know, once we get it down, I think that there's opportunity to do that big, the big swing of like the 4,000 to the 2,400 yeah. off the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like anything, when you get better at it, you see the most gains right in the outset. I think now when we, if we want to get down to below $2,000, we're going to have to optimize in the channel. Because what, where my head starts to go is, so you said like 20 phone numbers, where my head starts to go is, should there be a hundred phone numbers mm -hmm. and should your bandit signs, should there be 20 phone numbers on your bandit signs? Mm -hmm. Now, obviously the downside is you start, as you start to create more types of bandit signs, your cost per bandit sign increases, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're, I mean, these things aren't, it's not quite as, you know, uh, my business partner, Nate always, I, I run our marketing and he always wants us to do more of this kind of stuff. And I have to like say, well, sometimes there's a cost to doing more yeah, it, right. or a time right. cost, all right? These things don't just happen by themselves mm -hmm. unless you have perfect systems. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if you're able to start to optimize by channel or within the channel and then mm -hmm. see the similar, I think you probably would, it's a little more work, but we do, we do some of that with like, um, lag indicators and like post analytics on say direct mail. Like last year I sat down and I looked at all the people who'd responded to our direct mail 
to look at the, the house type so we could tie in our list. So instead of sending out 30,000 postcards, how about I just send 15,000 to people much more likely to actually respond? And mm -hmm. and we also did a look at like, what did our buyers want? Like the, the people, the, the properties that went the fastest, the properties that had the most activity on them, what was the, you know, demographic right. of those? Number of bedrooms, yeah. cost per property. Exactly. Neighborhood. Yeah. That's great. That's super cool. Uh, it's interesting that like the multi-dimensional analysis of looking at all the different variables can get pretty intense pretty, oh, yeah. pretty quick. And then it blows your brain up. And then I'll go back to the spreadsheet like two weeks later and be like, what was I doing here? Right. <laughs> are you using something to analyze the data or how are you? We, so when, like for our clients, the market shark clients, we have a pretty set thing where we just pull the data dumps from their call logs, from their appointment tracker. And it pushes into buckets in profits. an Excel sheet or something. Mm -hmm. And then it, it does this kind of roll up summary. And we still have to go through the time consuming part is like actually going through and confirming the data is accurate, mm -hmm. makes sense mm -hmm. and that everything's assigned appropriately. Um, but then it, it pulls up into summary. Right. And I like how you talked about, which I think is true. We face this sometimes we have all the new lead come in and we'll say, um, my favorite answer to how'd you hear about us? Because we asked everyone, how'd you hear about our company? Um, my favorite answer is your website, which we hear a lot. But how did you get to my right. website? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like you were just walking down the street and all of a sudden our site just popped up, you know? Um, and, and usually, I mean, it's awkward. You've, you've never actually talked to this person before. And you kind of know, like, now's your chance. Because once you start talking to them, they're going to forget. And mm -hmm. so you say, like, the next question is like, yeah, do you remember how you got to the site? <laughs> and it's amazing how many people will say, I have no idea. Or we'll say, like, my computer. <laughs> it's like, you know, and so we'll put in the notes, because like I ask our guys, I'll write down, it'll say, like, how do you hear about this website on computer? It's like, well, I guess that narrowed it down from being on your phone. Well, I mean, so are you doing pay-per-click? Like, is it Google? Yeah, okay. yeah, I mean, we're running, we're running pay-per-click, but we're also running other types of advertising. Mm -hmm. We run Facebook stuff. We also, we have social media that's organic, you know, mm -hmm. where we post something or we boost the post, um, you know, and then our website, someone could have sent them a link to our site. Yeah, right. You know, they could have gone to one of our meetups. There's yeah. lots of ways of, I mean. The, they saw a sign, you know, for one of your rentals. While oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Slate house, slate house. I'm right. going to look them up later. Right, right. So, I mean. Getting to our site is like actually the worst answer. It's, it's, I'd almost rather them just call us. It means that your site doesn't suck though. Right. right? <laughs> uh, so it's interesting. It's converting. And, uh, so where I wanted to go with that was, do you, do, you, do you face some of that? Where someone's like, I heard about you through our site and you have a hard time pushing it back to how they actually found out about you? Yeah, we, and we don't dig that hard on it. Usually whatever channel they came in on, we just attribute it to that. And we might find out later through in the appointment, like, well, actually, you came in on a web form, but I got your postcard. Maybe the sales rep sees that when they go into the house. We try to update it, but for me, I'm, I'm like with you, it's good enough. There's a cost to going down that rabbit hole too far. Yeah, I mean, it's super awkward. You never talk to a person where they're like, okay, I just want to work with you. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Stop asking me questions. Um, yeah, just, just take my property. So, um, But it, what's interesting is I, I was listening to this podcast or someone I was talking to, and they were talking about the reasons that a business fails. And it, it just really resonated with me because they're talking about, well, either you have a crap product, right? That's a good reason for business to fail or nobody knows who you are. So like lack of marketing mm -hmm. or you're really not passionate about it. And yeah. so you just don't put in the effort necessary for your business to succeed. But um, on the marketing front, that's been just kind of resonating with me. And now the passion is mine.
That's awesome. I think my, my first guy into business, before I had a deeper marketing kind of background, I always felt like, well, the best product will just come to the surface. Right. You know, like yep. you're the best and, and why you need, why you totally need to... thought that too. Right. Like why is like that's a in... strong sense of justice, right? Right. So like the best you're product the best should win and you're the best and, and people will just find out about you. And, yeah. and that's just not the reality of the world. No. Right. No. So, uh, in particular when trying to sell your house. Um, okay. I've got, uh, two more questions for you and then I'll let you okay. go. My first is, so a topic that I'm very intrigued by is these new entrants in the real estate sector who are tech companies. Mm. Um, are we talking about ones branding themselves as tech, like Keller Williams? Or? No, so I would not call <laughs> Keller Williams a tech company. Sorry. <laughs> just because you say it doesn't mean No, sense. so I would I love think Keller Williams, by the way. Okay. I just thought that was kind of. Yeah, I'm net silly. neutral, but I would not call Keller Williams a tech company. So to me, like something like Zillow would be a tech company. Oh, yeah. Um, so Zillow, uh, I, I follow their earnings reports pretty closely. They're getting into essentially buying, flipping buy, houses. Buy mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what are your, being in that field, uh, I, I, there's a two part question here. One, do you, do you, do you see them as an eventual competitor to what you're doing? And do you think they can be successful at it? Cause up till now, no one's really cracked the flipping a house at a national tech.com company would. Yeah, I, I just don't see how they can. Um, I understand how they can do the valuations, but like repair estimates, either they're going to have to offer so low um, because they're just going to have to assume that $40, $45 a square foot, you know, or, or have some way of method, you know, methodology. But or, or get the quote before offering it, potentially. I mean, they, they could definitely do it, but it means almost like the bank's do with their foreclosure properties they have to get into the property management game they have to hire contractors like they have to commit to it's not tech it's a very boots on the ground labor human heavy yeah environment so i think they can do a good job on the marketing and sales which is the people who just want to go online and put in some information and get an offer and never talk to anyone yeah um and they'll they'll buy some houses that way so so is the end game to partner Almost like a wholesaler would, right? Yeah. Like partner with the flipper. They should do that. Zillow, if you're listening, you owe Chad money. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Zillow hasn't really come out and said, I mean, there are reports that they want to do this. They've, they've talked more about buying and then selling. Um, but they've never really, at least I haven't seen them, present themselves as a wholesaler. Um, but potentially it's what they are. Right? Yeah. Is someone needs to get rid of their house immediately. Uh-huh. They, know they, can, they know they can afford to buy it. And then they can find a seller for it. And that seller, and that, or that, and that, that buyer could be a flipper. Mm-hmm. Or the buyer could be someone who wants to move into it or, you know, anything between. I just, I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier, that, that the most lucrative um, industries are ones where you're not selling a commodity. It's where you're selling uh, an idea, right? Less overhead. So I think that they could make money for it. My, my question would be, should they? Like, or should they focus on selling information, which is what they've been excelling at? Yeah. So interesting. Maybe they could sell leads to iBuyer leads and then they could build their own buyers network. You right. could sign up. Yeah, the um the definitely they are touting the future of their company being less of an information age company and more of a um like a retail company, mm-hmm. really. Um okay, so that was part one of the question. Uh part two is there's some rumors of Amazon trying to get in this space. Uh, any thoughts of if Amazon could pull off something like this? Well, it's a pretty awesome space to be in. 
you know, and they are in the product business. Although again, they've made their money off of optimizing the supply chain, right? Yeah, I mean, they're not not in developing houses, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, Amazon can here, do but... what they want. So my thing right now has been, my, my big thing for the year has been focus. Like we can all, we all can, especially like super smart people, we all can do a bunch of different things. The question is, should we? Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, self-proclaimed struggle with focus at times. No. Uh, yes, that's for sure. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people do. I think part of it is I think if you're if you're driven and also meeting a lot of interesting people, a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. present themselves. Mm-hmm. So figuring out when to do which one and, and where to spend the time is important. Um, okay, last question I have for you is: If you were to, uh, by the way, I didn't, I didn't tell you any of these questions were coming, so I've been uh, on the spot. Okay. So uh, next three to five years, what is the biggest tech? Uh, thing that you are excited about or intrigued by in in maybe it's the marketing space or wholesaling that uh, you think could kind of change the game and uh, you're you're intrigued to see where it goes I think it, it's Zillow because uh, I don't know Zillow hasn't really made money right uh, not really I mean I think they're basically but, a break-even company to and, date. and yet they're the name that everyone knows right and they are so I, I'm really intrigued to see what they do with that kind of brand power that mm-hmm. they've built. Mm-hmm. How do they take that and monetize it in a way that is smart? Um, I've, I've been waiting, I think, for the like past two years, waiting to see what they do with this. And as a wholesaler, you're not today working with them in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Your, your clients aren't working with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in theory, you could be. I mean, yeah. So maybe in three years, you're partnering. I mean, we had another flipper on here who's actually said... He could totally see partnering with wholesale with Zillow in the next two or three years. Yeah. He's buying a lot of leads today. Why not buy them from Zillow as well? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's where they make their money is selling the leads and the, the information. But, you know, everyone knows who they are. It's time for them to make money. And I think they're going to do it. I love it. Um, cool. Uh, Becca, thanks so much for joining us on the Real Estate Hackers podcast. Super interesting conversation. Uh, it makes me want to go optimize some advertising. <laughs> Uh, how, if people want to talk nerd marketing shop with you, what's a good way to get in touch with you? Um, we have a website, marketsharkconsulting.com, um, or growth at marketsharkconsulting.com. Okay. And then on the wholesaling side, you do work with investors mm-hmm. who are buying stuff. Yep. We have a buyer's website. It's called Becca's Deals, B-E-K-A-S-D-E-A-L-S.com. You can sign up there and that'll put you on our list to get properties distributed. I got to say one of the things that we're working with on the marketing side for our buyers is um, really trying to com- build more of a one-on-one relationship. So right now it's kind of like you sign up for the list and you get the information at the same time. But I'd really love to get to the point with our marketing there where it's, I pick up the phone and I say, hey, Chad, you told me you wanted this, this, and this. I got it. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, Pottstown Meetup, fourth mm-hmm. Monday of the month. Most... Uh, most months. Uh, we're on meetup.com if you want to come hang out with Becca and I live in person. And then we're going to have a conference in April. You might April. want to join us for the yeah. conference. It's going to be fun. Where is it going to be? Uh, the Lancaster uh, Convention Center. Nice. So more to come on Downtown that. Lancaster is awesome too. So you can use it as a fun excuse to get out and explore. Yeah. Take yeah. a horse and buggy. More than just Amish. <laughs> we're in Lancaster. 
All right, Becca, hey, good stuff. Love having awesome, super smart speakers on here that uh, make us want to do cooler things. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Cool, bye. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram, at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.